Welcome back to another episode of Digital Business Models Podcast by 4Week MBA. In this session, I'm going to interview Jerry Campbell, who is a CEO, entrepreneur, and author. He's actually the CEO today of a company called Cryptonomic.io, which helps customers understand how to uh, build, deliver projects on top of Web3. But the session in particular is not about Web3, it's about the internet of the early days. In fact, Jerry Campbell has an incredible experience, as is, uh, he was former senior vice president and group general manager at AOL between 2001 and 2006. Also, he had many other experiences before that. He has been at CompuServe, uh, also worked at Compact, and then later on, also worked for Alta Vista, was bought by Compaq. So Jerry has such an incredible experience which gave me the opportunity to look at and reconstruct the story of the early years of the internet. A story which is exciting because at the time we had a set of uh, companies and the first big tech giants like companies like CompuServe, Prodigy, AOL, as we'll see in the discussion. And it's very interesting to understand how we moved from the early wave of the internet with a few big tech players who worked as world gardens and how then we evolved toward a web 1.0, which saw companies like Google wrecking off those world gardens and how those companies like Google became the new dominant players of the new internet. That's an exciting story. Let's get to it. Jerry, thank you for joining this uh, conversation on the Four Week MBA podcast. And uh, it's, it's a pleasure for me because uh, you have uh, an incredible uh, experience especially in a period of time that uh, was an important transition. It actually represented an important transition for, for, the, for the internet, for what uh, today we call Web 1 or Web 1.0, whatever. But really, the, you, were, um, you have been actually senior vice president and uh, group general manager for uh, AOL during the period of 2001, 2006. You also have been at Alta Vista, CompuServe. So... When I looked at uh, your past experience, to me, it was such a pleasure to invi invite you for, uh, for this conversation. So thanks for joining. Oh, I'm excited to be here. There's so much really cool history that I was uh, fortunate enough to observe, participate in a little bit of. And I love to share the stories because it's, uh, it's a time when nobody was really looking. There was really cool stuff going on. Yeah. And it turned out to be important. And we, you know, I think we had the idea at the time, but I love going through this stuff. It's fun to share. And there, there are some really great business principles as well. Yeah. And that's uh, the whole aim of uh, the podcast. So we try to look at being into like very interesting business uh, stories uh, and history and uh, try to reconstruct it based on the people that really lived uh, through it. So uh, to start a little bit from your perspective, how did you end up, uh, you know, working for several uh, we, we can call them probably the first uh, big uh, tech players uh, in the internet, in the first, uh, you know, internet um, era. Uh, how did you end up there? So a little bit of personal experience. Uh, and then, of course, it would be nice to jump into the context at the time. How did it feel sure. to work uh, for those companies at the time? 
Yeah, sure. So I grew up in, in Columbus, Ohio, which is an, an unexpected place maybe by some to, uh, to be involved in such early things. But I grew up um, just miles from CompuServe, which was one of the very first online services actually dating all the way back to the late 1960s. So there was, uh, there was a big history. There was an established company. Um, my personal interest was I, I'd always been kind of a tinkerer. I, I got in trouble for tearing my bikes apart and I got in trouble for taking computers apart as I got older. And, and so as a tinkerer, you know, I, I obviously, and I think I was an entrepreneur as well, you know, science showed very early because I started a bike shop in like fourth grade or something like that. So um, the internet and the technologies to me um, were, were fascinating. So I got a copy of like Wired Magazine number, you know, issue two. And it talked about this online world and, and it was, you know, happening in IRC chat. And uh, I think I was probably in my early 20s at the time. And my, my attention was just captured. I thought this was the coolest thing ever. I, I had I'd been up to my elbows and in, inside my Mac at that time and taken it all apart and, and was just fascinated with things it could connect to. And I was gophering around places and pulling files and telnetting and, and all that crazy stuff. And um, so I, I worked in between... Uh, undergraduate school and then went back to Ohio State. I actually went to Ohio State twice, which is in Columbus. Um, and I had the opportunity to get an internship at CompuServe, which was just, you know, I don't know, 10 miles away. It was very close. And so that kind of started my journey. And I, I got involved with one of the companies that didn't, you know, to many people, it didn't seem as sexy as Sun Microsystems or, you know, some of the companies that were out in the Bay Area or Palo Alto Research Center was, you know, I, I had my eyes fixed on that. But when I got involved in CompuServe, um, and this would have been, I started there in 1995, um, we were just just starting to, you know, the Netscape browser was in beta at the time. Company was mm -hmm. uh, CompuServe was about to buy Sprynet, and so the the whole idea of all these really clunky tools that we were using to get around this crazy internet thing were about to be replaced by the browser, and that that was really what you know locked me in because I ended up working on internet projects at CompuServe, which was an online service and much more focused on the, the kind of the core subscription service that people connected through a dedicated software client. And I was working on browser-based stuff. So that's wow. how I got. Yeah, incredible story. And uh, um, just for a bit of context for the people that will be listening to, to this episode, at the, at the time, uh, really, uh, the internet was something completely different. It was like more a proprietary network that uh, users accessed, uh, like for instance, through CompuServe or like AOL or Prodigy, you had the chance to, to uh, access those wall gardens where uh, you had uh, you know, a set of services like email or for instance, uh, boards, whatever, but uh, you paid a subscription. As you said, it was a subscription-based service, at least initially, uh, and then after uh, advert advertising picked up, especially when search engines came along. But uh, what what was the context back then? Like, can you give us a bit of overview? Because it's very interesting. You said you um, joined the CompuServe when it was not a hot company. And then I guess it became an auto company because it was one of the major players in the late, uh, mid, actually 90s, uh, right? Yeah. So, so CompuServe was actually, it was, there was Prodigy, there was CompuServe, there was a thing from Genie called the Genie Information Service. So yes. services were popping up. Um, CompuServe, I think, was the biggest of them, but just to put it in perspective, uh, we had a couple million paying users at the time. So wow. it was it was big for what it was. But then if you go to the full context, um, people didn't have personal computers in their home very frequently. It was it was mm -hmm. just not that common. So um, it was huge at the time. It was a huge uh, user base. 
at the time? At the time it was big, but it was still kind of a, you know, I, I, when I was in business school, right around the time I joined CompuServe, some of my friends who were going into logistics and uh, other things, and they were taking their MBAs and doing these incredible things, you know, they would tell me, don't waste your, don't waste your <laughs> MBA on, uh, you know, don't, don't go to the internet. Nobody's ever going to transact over the internet. Wow. It's just, mess, you know, and I said, I don't know, I kind of feel it. I think I'm going to do it. So, nice. but that was the context. Computing was not a big part of people's lives. It was a, it was something you did for school projects. It was, you know, if you were in the government, you had access to the internet. If you were a, kind of a, uh, an early adopter, you might have AOL at your house. Well, not even AOL at the time. It was, you might have Genie or Prodigy or CompuServe mm -hmm. at the time. So it was just a very small part of our society. Yeah. Yep. And, and how, how did it grow uh, into like uh, a giant, like uh going in, in, in into a scenario where uh, those uh, subscription-based, uh, you know, business models like CompuServe and later on like search and then, you know, with AOL, how did they uh, end up like becoming uh, giants? And uh, did the, the perception also change? Like the same friend that told you, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is probably going to be a waste of your MBA. Did uh, things like change by the late, uh, um, you know, uh, 90s? Yeah, I think I think those those were a really fast few years. So um, CompuServe was acquired by AOL, which was kind of the the startup that was much smaller at the time. Um, what AOL got right, and I give AOL a lot of credit for figuring out that user experience was the most important thing. So mm -hmm. CompuServe still mm -hmm. had email addresses that had numbers; they were all numbers. Um, it mm -hmm. it was a very mm -hmm. complex and not very, very visual. Geeky. Yeah, it was just super geeky, even though there were, you know, there were buttons you could click and it was a, it was a WYSIWYG interface. You, you know, it was not, it was not sexy. And AOL got mm -hmm. a lot of credit for doing a couple things. The first thing is they figured out how to make a service that the average person could use. Um, and I think that's, that's pretty huge. The second thing is they figured out marketing. So those, those AOL CDs that you could get a certain mm -hmm. number of hours free were everywhere. They were, you know, they were in the magazines, the Sky Mall magazines on airplanes. They were sticking to cereal boxes. They really understood marketing. Um, and then the third thing was that computing was, was moving along at the same time. So we went from computers being super, super expensive and inaccessible to, you know, I ended up at Compaq. You didn't mention that. I went from mm -hmm. computer Compaq, because the frontier at the time was Compaq was selling 5 million computers a year. And I wanted to make sure that every single one of those people signed up to get on the internet. And so did Compaq. So it was a great fit. So that was the group I worked wow. on there. So the whole context of computing moving at the same time, AOL figuring out marketing and figuring out how to deliver a technical experience to the mass market, that was really the catalyst. And then in parallel to that, the browser wars started and, and uh, browsers got more and more capable. The languages behind them got more and more capable. So by the end of the 90s, um, just to fast forward a little bit, I went from um, CompuServe to Compaq and worked on, on, you know, the internet out of the box experience with a team of a couple people. And then we ended up owning AltaVista. So Compaq owned AltaVista and in a big, you know, kind of big hardware company, nobody really knew what to do with it. So a small team of people was put together to spin it out. And, uh, I was one of the most junior people on the team, but we figured out, okay, let's spin AltaVista out, take the search engine and add some pieces to it. And, uh, that period of time between 94, 596 to 9899 those years were incredible in terms of the companies that emerged um, the business models that emerged and the people so just a, a weird little piece of history 
when we were looking to spin Compaq, uh, AltaVista out of Compaq, we wanted to put some capabilities with it. So the idea was let's put a shopping engine with it. So we acquired shopping.com and we wanted to put uh, media with it. So we built a media arm and then we also acquired local because the belief was the internet should be local. And, you know, an evolution of the yellow pages to something, you know, far greater. And there was a company called Zip2 that was founded by two brothers that we didn't Hello, really know Musk. anything. The brother. It was Elon <laughs> Musk. Yeah. And so, so at that time, he was nobody. There were just all of these characters around, wow. <laughs> all of these technologies and everything moving really quickly. So uh, Compaq bought uh, shopping.com and then also bought Zip2, rolled it into AltaVista. And that all happened from the time when everybody was accessing the internet by command line interface, uh, which was where I started in 94, 95, it was 95. Um, up to 98, 99, where, you know, Elon had emerged, mm. um, search had become a dominant model and, uh, right. and the, the kind of closed walled garden services had started to get competition from the open internet. And, and this is a very interesting uh, point which you're making because uh, now we, we're going to look at it uh, forward in, the, in this episode, but uh, as anything, when, when a new market opens up, you expect the market to move in one direction and instead it's going to open up in a completely different direction. As you said, like the giants of the time were actually putting together all the pieces to offer like a comprehensive service within their world garden. Also the way Compaq, I guess, was doing it by adding Zip2 because Zip2 was like a service that provided local directories, I guess. Uh, so as you said, like the two main applications that were killer applications at the time were like, uh, as you said, probably uh, uh, e-commerce, local directories, uh, and probably like email and uh, boards pretty much. But uh, yeah. I guess a few people would have expected that, uh, that uh, search would have taken over and uh, wrecked them all apart, or at least, I mean, until a certain point, it was not clear that search would take them all over. And then after it became very clear when like a, a company like Google probably uh, took over so fast, so quickly, and then it became clear that probably search was uh, something that could uh, dominate the second wave of, uh, of, let's say, the last part of the first wave of, uh, of the internet, of the web <laughs> 1. 1.0. Um, and, and that's pretty interesting. So um, to remark a little bit this transition, um, now that uh, let's say you went from uh, the, the, um, the experience that uh, CompuServe and then CompuServe merged actually was acquired by AOL to, to build up the, the largest tech player at the time. So the first tech giant of uh, the internet era. Uh, and then after you moved to, to search, uh, with um, uh, with uh, Compaq and Altavis, and Altavis, and then you went back to AOL. What was the reasoning there? I mean, uh, what did you see going forward? Why did you see like probably AOL uh, having a competitive advantage, uh, moving in the right direction at the time? Uh, what was your thinking? Yeah, there are a couple of things. So I I was involved very peripherally in. AOL's acquisition of CompuServe, which was, I was the guy, you know, three tiers mm. down who was told to go fetch some data, right? Mm. And because uh, I was working on it at the time, I had the personal page service and a business hosting service. So when, when AOL got interested in the internet stuff, that's so, but I, I, I had lived in Columbus my whole life and wanted to get out. So uh, it's a great town. It's even better now, but I wanted to go see the world. And uh, so my leaving CompuServe was not as much driven by where the technology was going. It was more just just wanting to be in the game, right? So, uh, excuse me, not where the technology was going, but where the brands were going. So uh, I wanted to be in the game. Uh, I intended to go to the Bay Area, ended up in Houston at Compaq. 
Um, what's interesting though, the reason I went back to AOL, so the time that I had at Alta Vista was one of those crazy times where we didn't know stuff. We didn't know, like when we did a business deal, we didn't know, you know, we, we would have a conversation with a company. Uh, uh, there was something, uh, I can't remember, uh, vicinity.com. We spent weeks having these fantastic partnerships, partnership discussions with the team there. And, uh, and then when it came all down to it, we're like, and you pay us for that. And then they said, no, 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 you pay us for that. And so we ended up, you know, it just got, it was so confusing because nothing had been solidified. Mm -hmm. um, what had started to solidify at that point was paid search. So I was in the shopping group at Alta Vista and my job was to figure out how to turn what at the time was the world's largest search engine from a, a strategic perspective. How do we get traffic into the shopping experience? How do we present purchasing opportunities? How do we do our search advertising? So there were a lot of people working on it at the time inside of Alta Vista. My, my particular angle was, how do we get all of these products? We had a million products in the shopping.com database, and we were a shopping search engine, one of the first pay-per-click shopping search engines. And so um, what I saw there was that these models, like paid search was big. Um, and the thing that occurred to me, and, and I'll, give, I'll give my colleagues at Alta Vista a lot of credit for this, there was a, a high sensitivity to user experience. So as much as we were building a business and a technology, there was a great usability team there that was really focused on making sure that Alta Vista delivered the results that people were searching for. And that was my first clue that paid search was going to be a big deal. Because when we put shopping results into the Alta Vista search engine, when it matched with the user's intent, we did a much better job of getting people to the products that they were interested in finding. So I developed a respect for users and, and for user intent. The, the trip back to AOL, so I moved to Virginia from um, Southern California at the time, and it was to run search. And at that time, um, AOL was still very much a walled garden. It was uh, kind of taboo inside the company to talk about how the internet was going to be bigger because at that time they were still doing what was called portal tenancy deals where you know a, a long distance company would buy out all of the opportunity for advertising on the whole service and it was a very it was a very small minded model and um, I, I learned a lot about putting content into search I learned a lot about putting um, transaction opportunities and advertising and relevance and understanding customer intent. So for me, it was an irresistible opportunity to run things that were going to make a big difference in search um, because I was kind of dyed in the wool search guy at the time. And then what made it just really easy was that a lot of my CompuServe friends that did stay were now, uh, you know, people within AOL who had built credibility and had been a few years. And some of my favorite people were uh, in positions of influence. So when they needed somebody to run search, luckily I got the call. Interesting. And um, then afterward, this, uh, this period, like uh, when um, there was uh, search taking over, I guess uh, at the time, uh, probably around like uh, the early 2000, of course, uh, a, a giant like KOL had figured out that search was uh, becoming, you know, something that had the potential to um, kill them in, in, the, in the long term. Also, because for a little bit of context to, to the audience, uh, when the, uh, during the mid 90s, of course, uh, the first browser was released, uh, the most successful browser, uh, Mosaic, and then after Mosaic, of course, there was Netscape, which uh, awakened the, 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 the sleeping giant, which was Microsoft. The interesting part is that as Microsoft was so taken by the, 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 the war against, uh, uh, against uh, Netscape, which started to bundle in Internet Explorer in the office package, and uh, 
uh, let's say it shifted its, its focus uh, from uh, from AOL dominance to to uh, Netscape. So like uh, it was okay. like uh, Bill Gates started to uh, really look at uh, <laughs> um, the browser war as the main war that he needed to fight in order for Microsoft to survive in the long run. Uh, but the interesting part is that this also gave, I guess, a little bit of, uh, of uh, breadth to, to AOL and the ability to grow, because I think uh, there was also a partnership uh, uh, between like AOL and Microsoft during those years. Um, again, because uh, Microsoft was prioritizing on its, on its uh, um, browser rather than on, the, on the, the, the online services, which at the time were primarily sold as the primary uh, application not even on the internet, because the, as we said, those were really closed uh, walled uh, services that you could access with your membership. But uh, the uh, like um, an interesting question that I would like to look at with you, um, how a search evolved, like especially from the AltaVista standpoint going forward, there were different players. Uh, how did you see a search um, you know, evolving during those years, let's say during the, the, the late uh, 90s going in, into the, the 2000? Um, yeah, fascinating times. So the early search technologies like AltaVista, um, AltaVista was actually kind of a lab project inside digital equipment. And there was a computer called the DEC Alpha, which was a mini mainframe, if I have that right. It was a, it was a large computer, but not a, not a room-sized computer. Um, and it had a limited amount of disk storage and it had, you know, super, super limited, meaning it was huge for the time, but we didn't have cloud computing. Um, and, and it had a, a, an incredibly fast multi-threaded processor. So it was a really exciting time for computing. And so AltaVista was actually, and, and somebody will correct me on my history here, but this is how I remember it. Um, AltaVista ran on individual DEC Alpha computers. And so there was kind of load balancing between them and I don't want to get too geeky, but the, the first search engines were technically very, very limited. Um, and the way that played through to user experience was um, you couldn't find everything because the web couldn't be indexed at the scale that, it, you know, anywhere near the scale is today. So we knew at the time, you know, AltaVista had about 200 million pages in its index and, Google had come up with their cloud infrastructure and, and the ability to use many, many parallel smaller computers. So they had a truly uh, elastic way to just add more and more. So when you searched, you put a search term into the entry box and it went to Google, they could search more information and they also had a better crawler. So they could do a better job of pulling a lot of information in. And then the magic of Google was that they studied and there's a lot of math and there's a lot of science and in the algorithms, especially in those days, to get the right result that you're looking for. And that's, you know, technically it's called precision at one, which means is the, is the result you get when you put a query in the right result in the first position, second position, third position. And so um, it was a mess. So early on, there weren't many pages indexed. Um, it, it was a little bit slower, although AltaVista was very, very fast. Um, Google came along and broke all of the paradigms around the size of the index, the ability to crawl it, and the ability to rank it. And they truly were breakthrough at the time. And they, they had um, a lot of both capital horsepower, um, but they also had just a lot of technical horsepower. They did a lot of things right. Mm -hmm. That was the beginning when, when search actually became more useful. Um, and, and if you remember back to the time, the internet in terms of publishing was exploding, absolutely exploding. All of the newspapers were coming online. Uh, everybody had to have their own site. Businesses had to, had to have their own sites. There wasn't really as much of a notion of, of real-time information. 
Um, but every company had to have kind of a business card type site where you could, you know, just do some basic stuff. And then information like news and all of that was just starting to grow. So searching all of that was a prodigious problem that was, was limited technically um, a, a lot of different ways from, from kind of pre-Google to post-Google. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this, uh, this is a key key point. So as uh, the internet uh, started to grow like exponentially, probably there were like uh, two, three years in between where you had a few sites that could be actually also uh, curated, like you could have uh, like yeah. a directory list of websites until at the point in which uh, this directory list would not be useful anymore because the number of sites had grown so exponentially that uh, you know, it was impossible to keep track of them. So it was needed something was very good at it. And so search was extremely important. Another key point I think, I uh, believe to uh, remark about uh, that time, um, you know, going toward the, the late nineties is that with the explosion of uh, websites on the internet, uh, there, were, there was also the explosions of uh, the first uh, search engines. But the problem is uh, the first search engines were also probably easy to, 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 to game. I mean, if you were an SEO expert uh, at the, in the late 90s, probably it was much easier to game uh, like a search engine, like uh, let's say, uh, you know, AltaVista or Lycos uh, compared to what would, what would come later. Actually, uh, as we know, uh, even initially, um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, also Page and Brain, so the, the, the founders of Google, didn't think of uh, a spam as a, as a key issue uh, for the search engine. Instead, they, they thought more of indexing as a key issue to solve. And it, they were right at the beginning. But then as also Google started to index more and more pages, um, actually, uh, they realized that spam was a, was a core issue. So they had to devote like an entire engineering team, a larger and larger engineering team as the web was scaling to actually solving the problem of spamming. And this is still actually an unsolved problem today. Yeah, and, it is. <laughs> and I think a third aspect, uh, extremely important, uh, is, is uh, it's about the advertising model that uh, Google managed uh, to, to actually build up because uh, it's important to also remark that initially when Google launched, it was, uh, it was uh, an academic project uh, out of uh, Stanford. And uh, initially the, the Google founders uh, actually were very uh, skeptical about advertising. Indeed, there is an interesting account in various books where uh, if I remember well, there is also a meeting between uh, Bill Gross, the founder of GoTo.com, uh, go which was uh, one of the, the early search engines, which later on, I think, uh, turned uh, into Overture. And um, actually, the, the model of GoTo was very smart because they uh, used a, a pay-per-click uh, um, model where like a CPC, sorry, a model where an advertiser could actually be featured on top of the search results by simply paying more. So it was simply a bidding auction mechanism. But the main, the main drawback of uh, goto.com is that of course, um, uh, the, the, um, the fact that it primarily listed the paid results without mixing them up with organic results was an issue. And another issue is that also when Google started to feature uh, paid results, uh, it, they, they, they had a sort of a score that took into account various metrics, not just how much money the brand was pouring into the, the advertising yeah. machine. So I think those are critical points. And that's how uh, pretty much Brin and Page uh, had to uh, turned the company because the company, of course, uh, had a lot of uh, Google had a lot of uh, servers uh, expenses. So either they were figuring out a business model for the company or they had to close things out because 
it was burning a lot of cash. And we're talking about the early years because then the Google of the early 2000s will become like a, really a cash machine, like one of the most uh, profitable business that we still know today. But it's hard then, to imagine Google yeah. not being profitable, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's very hard. But, you know, I, sometimes you hear also the stories uh, uh, of some people recounting, you know, Google has been always profit, profitable. Uh, yes and no. I mean, in the early years when it was still uh, like evolving as a company, uh, it was burning a lot of cash just because it was trying to figure out um, uh, an advertising model that could work for its platforms, how to mix paid and organic and make it uh, still relevant for users. This was the, the main uh, angle of uh, Google as a company. And as they figured uh, this out with the Google Ads, uh, Google um, uh, AdWords first, and then how uh, they mixed this up uh, with that sense in 2003-2004 that's how the uh, advertising machine exploded but you know it's also important to look at uh, a little bit the evolution of uh, search at the time and uh, mm -hmm. yeah based on your experience uh, I, how um, how did we get to like the the google aol deal what was the context there uh, sure how did that happen yeah it's it's pretty fun so um it, and I want to retrace a little bit of what you said, because yeah. it's really important. Um, some of the very first ways to monetize search were simple flat price click engines. So shopping.com, for instance, charged a dollar a click. And so if you went into the shopping.com product search, you would search for something and you would get a list of products out of our database and we would link you off to Best Buy or Circuit City to buy it locally or whatever else. But if you wanted to go to one of our partners, you would click and it would be a dollar, right? No auction, nothing. And that's that's kind of where everything started. Um, GoTo was very smart in what they did. And we kind of competed with them for a little while. And then they they took a little bit of a turn and went more general than just product search. But um, they, they were doing a lot about search term relevance. And so they focused on making sure that the right ad showed up in terms of relevance to the query, but they left the gaping hole open of user feedback. And so I, I left AltaVista, uh, did a little startup for a little while, and, uh, and then went to AOL and was put in charge of the entire machine for search. And it wasn't a big business at the time. It was about $20 million a year. Um, our partners, we had um, Ink to Me, which was our natural organic search. And then we had Overture, which was our paid search. And the paid search model at the time um, was, was generating some money, but I just had this feeling that there was user intent that was left on the table. People needed to see more things. And, and simply when you think about it, um, you, need a, you need a massive, massive uh, pool of advertisers if you're gonna start to cover stuff in the tail. So the notion of the tail came up at that time and we had kind of always known it because I'd been looking at search metrics and statistics for a long time. But when I got to AOL and we were, we were handling, you know, tens and twenties and thirties millions queries a day, um, we had a lot of topics to cover because people were searching for things that wouldn't necessarily be as simple to match to as, uh, you know, 27 inch flat screen TV, which was the kind of search that we would have at the time. So what Google did, and this is before, before we started working with them, um, what Google did was took into account, and they did a lot of things in the algorithm, but the one that was most important to me was that they were taking user clicks into account. So they would shuffle ads around and see which one got the most clicks. And they did a couple things that were user-friendly that were kind of non-obvious. One was the user click input for rankings. The second is they moved to a second price auction. So Overture, if you bid $5 for a term and somebody, the next guy bid two bucks, you would pay five bucks. 
And um, the problem was with that, it was very easy to game. The other problem is that if I wanted to get more and more terms as an advertiser, all of my willingness to pay gets sucked up on terms that are in the head, right? I don't have the chance to expand my queries out because I'm going to post what I'm willing to pay and that's it. Google came out with a second price auction. So if I, if the, if I bid $5 and the next guy bid $2, I would pay $2 and one cent. And then I could take that budget and allocate it to other terms. And so the size of Google's index uh, on, on the paid search helped. And I'll tell you about that in a second. Um, and also their second price auction and their ranking was absolutely superior. And I knew that. Um, Google had a problem at the time, which was they had some great technology, but Overture was was a public company that had already won the game. Very few people inside uh, that weren't inside search knew that it could be so much better. So Google took a risk in, in uh, approaching us. And, and the, you know, there's a little bit of history here too, which is Omid Kordestani, who was uh, one of the folks at Netscape. Yeah, the business development Google at the time. Exactly. Yes. So Omid, Omid went to Google and had a lot of relationships at AOL. So um, I didn't know him at the time, got to know him. And, uh, and they were very patient about saying, we're building a better engine and we want to work with you. And so uh, I was resistant, honestly. I, I, at the time, was like, we've got this overture and ink to me thing. Uh, other things. And, uh, and then, you know, the, the, here, here comes the story, right? So the, the overture deal came up for renegotiation. And um, the way deals worked at the time on search was that the, the person, the company that monetized your search results page would control the page. So Overture had control over the search results page. And uh, which means that I couldn't fully run the, the search engine the way that I wanted to. I had an additional objective, which was, you know, a little bit of context as well. AOL was in the middle of the Time Warner merger and there were hundreds of brands, magazines, online sites for movies and entertainment and news and cooking and everything you can imagine. And I wanted to put that stuff into the AOL search engine. I wanted to make sure that if somebody searched on AOL, I had Time Warner, AOL and Time Warner content there. So we had an unworkable situation where Overture wanted to control the search results page. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so essentially, um, I said no. And that opened a window for Google to step in. So they didn't, they had the technology in place. They didn't have very many advertisers. And in fact, when we talked to Amit and the team over there, they said, we're not quite ready. Can we do this in a year? And I said, uh, and the, the team, you know, it's, when I say I, there was really a we to the whole thing. Um, but, but the answer was, we have to do this deal now because we're about to do a three to four year deal and, uh, and we're going to end up locked up for a while. And, and the, the thing to note about AOL at the time is it was very clear that AOL users were going out to the web. It was also very clear that they spent a lot of money and clicked a lot of ads. So through Overture, we had hundreds of thousands of advertisers who were benefiting from being a part of AOL. We were their largest distribution partner at the time. So for AOL to make a change to a different paid search capability um, theoretically would bring hundreds of thousands of advertisers to the new engine that we worked with. And yeah. so Google wanted to work with us and we were, I think, just a little bit ahead of them. And so the little bit of history there was that they stepped up and we did the deal in 2003. Um, and I restructured or we restructured the deal. You know, I say I, cause I did I actually did the Excel model for it instead of doing oh. some really complicated <laughs> model that had floors and collars and, and variable rates of, of rev share. 
Um, one of the things that was really important to me was to keep us aligned over time. So um, I personally really pressed the idea that we have a flat rev share on dollar one all the way up to 100 million. And that what that did was kept us aligned as partners and they wanted to grow. They wanted to work with us, access our audience. And I didn't want to be, you know, having to go through an attorney or go through finance every time I wanted to make a change to see if we were going to trip a, a trigger in an agreement or anything. We were just aligned. And what that did was freed up business teams, product teams to truly be collaborative. So it all happened very quickly. We switched over to their organic search first because that was out in the market and, and the ink to me. And uh, I had many great friends at ink to me. It was a, it was a painful thing. Um, and that was, a, that was a rough thing for that company. But we switched over to the... Uh, uh, organic search for um, to to put Google in. Then a couple months later, we launched the paid search, and that deal. I like to think it's a historic deal because two companies that potentially were competitors had years and years and billions of dollars of value created through a really great alignment. And by being kind of really, we were we were all focused on understanding customer intent. And customer intent was absolutely what drove that business, that we analyzed queries. We had incredible systems inside AOL to understand what was going on in our query stream. And we shared a lot of that with Google and they shared you know, a lot of the UI stuff. And so we collaborated on what I think was one of the first really highly scalable search results pages. Um, over time, we tried things and, and you know, we, we wanted to monetize a little bit heavier, but keep customer satisfaction high. And so we put a lot of, lot of effort into to doing some, some creative studies around that. And uh, yeah, so that was, that was how the switch flipped. And there were a lot of politics. There were a lot of um, angry people. There were a lot of sales teams all over the place, putting a lot of pressure all the way up my chain to Steve Case, who was chairman at the time. Mm -hmm. um, it was a very interesting time, um, wow. but I knew we were doing the right thing for the user because if we could end up with a situation where the ads were more relevant and covered more of the query stream, we would do better than if we had fewer ads that weren't as, as well accepted by users. And then the benefit was I also got the chance to feed content into, and it, it looked like Google One Box now. Um, they didn't have that capability. We put a lot of effort, since we had the organic and we had the paid search covered, we could put a lot of our effort and our profits back into building a content system that allowed us to, on a query by query basis, publish very relevant results out of our own databases into the search results. So, wow, I talked a lot there. Hopefully that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, what a story. That's, uh, that's a huge, incredible story and uh, incredible to have actually uh, been there, but uh, uh, three three points I think uh, I want to emphasize from uh, what you said so far. Um, I think at the time, as uh, as uh, search engines were still figuring out a scalable advertising machine, deal making was extremely important. And you highlighted uh, like how, for instance, a single person, like in this case, uh, could be a person in charge of business development at Google, like Comit Kordistani, actually played a key role as uh, he moved. Uh, uh, to, to Google and uh, as you said he had probably uh, relationships uh, good relationships with uh, with AOL and as you said being featured on AOL at the time <laughs> made your business because um, uh, Google at the time was not uh, yet uh, an advertising platform where you could go and place your bids automatically it was mostly done through a lot of it at least like late uh, 90s early 2000s still a lot of uh, the deals were like uh, partnership deals so this where Google tried to feature its uh, search box uh, on on the main uh, on the main platforms, and AOL was uh, one uh, the the main one. 
And uh, it's interesting then also another point that as I was listening to the to, to your story is that initially um, how AOL kept a little bit of a walled garden perspective also on search when you said, you know, uh, we were trying to as you know, AOL was going through the through uh, the merge with uh, with uh, Time Warner, of course, they wanted also to prioritize a lot on controlling the search results, therefore give a lot of results that would be based on uh, what they had, uh, the content they had within the, the, the proprietary network or the network of partners uh, in, uh, in uh, AOL and, you know, Time Warner. Yep. And um, I think a, a third aspect, which to me is extremely important, is when there is a turning point. So when uh, technology, the technology and the commercial landscape uh, is changing at scale, there is when there is the opportunity for the new player when it's uh, way, way better than, than existing alternatives to actually break up an uh, existing industry. And one example that comes to mind in this case is like when, you know, for instance, uh, let's say Steve Jobs managed to break, uh, break up the, the music industry or when, for instance, G uh, the same Steve Jobs managed to break up, uh, break up the mobile career industry when it, uh, it uh, you know, uh, handled to them the iPhone, but then it said, okay, you subsidize this product to as many people as possible. And the reason why it was possible to do that because it was such an interesting a product that for the mobile mobile career where the little to offer in terms of innovation on the market it was a key product to have in its portfolio for its base for its customer base to keep growing and keep being relevant so i think those to me are three extremely important points and another one which i would like to to just you know, emphasize with you, uh, what happened after the change? So when uh, you change, I guess, of course, on the side of Overture, this was a tragedy, like uh, losing the deal with the, with the AOL was uh, like a huge, huge loss. And on the other side, how did it go in terms of the integration? Uh, so how did the, the, the deal play out uh, within like uh, AOL and, uh, and Google in the years that uh, came later? Yeah. Um, so the Overture side, I, I found out years later that a friend that I grew up with was um, one layer back on the legal team when we uh, made the decision to move away from Overture. And, and uh, so I actually, you know, when we made that decision, um, there was hundreds of millions of dollars of market cap destroyed in that company. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I feel bad about my friend, but <laughs> it was the right thing for the industry. Um, yeah. So the relationship yeah. was interesting because in, in we, we didn't Looking back, deals were at that time, companies, when they worked together, it was always business development. It was largely business development and attorneys and deal making that made things happen. Yeah. Um, I started as a product manager. I started, you know, thinking about, and, and these were my earliest projects at CompuServe. I wanted to build things that people loved. And so finding a partner that wasn't going to send their business development team every time I had a question, but somebody that would actually send their product people was, was critical. So um, at the very beginning, you know, it was really a simple relationship. Technically, they, they had an API for, for natural search and they had an API for paid search. And we drove the search results page and did all of our magic and included those in the two main sections on the page. So um, from, a, from a technical perspective, our engineers didn't have to spend much time together. We had, we had service level agreements and mm -hmm. we, you know, all of that stuff. But what that allowed us to do was to have discussions a lot about what search should be. And so there was a, you know, I don't want to overstate it. It's not like we were a buddy-buddy uh, because, you know, we were in a way competing with them. 
Um, but we, we did have opportunities. Marissa Meyer was running the, the homepage at the time. And so we got the chance to go and sit with her and talk about, you know, what do you think the intent is when a user comes to the Google homepage and sees the search entry box? Because we were, we were working on our own innovations on trying to understand intent so that we could deliver a better experience. And they could see all of our monetization. So when we made the decision to go three links at the top and three down the side, um, and, and move pages around. We, we had an enormous test bed. So we had um, 16 concurrent tests, A-B tests running every day, all the time. And we were moving oh, things God. around on the page all the time and they could see all of our data. So they oh, couldn't God. see what was on the page, but they'd be like, wow, what did you do? Because these kind of queries really you know, blew up. And so we'd have that discussion and we were pretty open about it. Um, mm -hmm. And, and this, is a, this is a worthy point to note. There was a point, and, and I actually ended up in Time Warner investor meetings because investors at the, at the corporate parent level were like, we should have a search engine. We should own our own search engine. And AOL was the kind of company, it was, it was at the core a media company, not a hardcore technology company, although there was a lot of great technology there. In fact, I could go into all the incredible things that came out of that period of time. But what it takes to, to build, grow, feed, and, and really innovate in search requires such a, a constitution for investment. Um, and, and AOL, you know, it was, it was a decision that I reinforced every time I got, which was, we have to find people who are very best and companies to work with that are very best at what they do, so we can be best at serving AOL customers. And so um, that, that was a big, a big piece of it. So uh, it, things moved really quickly. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anything else on the question you want to dig into? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, as usual, I try to, to uh, take some uh, key points uh, from uh, what you said, which uh, you make me think a lot as, you know, as we, we go through the story. But um, I think you, you said uh, a key point, which is about uh, the late uh, web 1.0, when, again, we moved from, uh, from uh, uh, deals to scalable platforms, it was really the time where product development became a key element. So we went from a time where uh, you and you you needed the, the the business development team, and of course today uh, also the business development team is very important at the enterprise level. But the key point is um, really the internet uh, changed a lot from uh, from uh, media to technology, and therefore from uh, from uh, an approach uh, uh, as a, as a platform uh, during the the, the late 90s, early 2000. And uh, as you said, uh, it's very important to emphasize that as uh, the, the many companies on the internet changed the playbook, they understood that they needed to become scalable machines and therefore uh, product development. And so coordinating engineering team on the UX and UI and uh, understanding the, how to make the user experience uh, as good as possible became the most important aspect. Before, as we said, deal making was uh, very, very important. Uh, also, it's interesting. Critical. Yeah, critical. And it's interesting to me how, uh, as you um, highlighted, uh, uh, one probably um, it, at hindsight, it, it's always easy, but uh, also the lack of transition from media company to tech company was uh, something that uh, that um, slowed down, slowed down uh, AOL. 
Uh, and of course, th there are always uh, cycles in history. For instance, when technology becomes a commodity, then you need to become a media company. Uh, when, when I say this, I think about, for instance, Netflix, when Netflix uh, was just a platform for content and, net, and then it needed to become, from the 2013 going forward, it needed to become a media company and invest in its own content because uh, technology was becoming a commodity. So there are like eras in which uh, being a media company is an advantage, in other eras in which being a technology company is an advantage. And at the time, I think being a technology company was a, was a key advantage. And uh, another point is that uh, Google from the deal uh, took uh, probably one of the most important aspects, uh, which was um, key to keep scaling its uh, search product, but also to build up its advertising machine was probably also the access to, to uh, the data or to experiments that uh, AOL was doing at scale because the scale of AOL was uh, many times over still at the time of um, you know Google at the, of the early years. So those are um, extremely important, uh, important point. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, uh, really the, the um, let's say the war, uh, initially Google stole, let's say the deal from Overture and that was a huge deal. And then, of course, Google started to figure out the advertising machine. And in the early 2000s, it became like a, it started to uh, become like a, a tech giant. But later, uh, during like the 2004, 2005, um, there was a war then between uh, Microsoft and Google on who uh, was going to take over AOL. Uh, as uh, my understanding is going toward the, the year 2004, there was uh, you know, uh, a deal that, uh, that um, uh, Google wanted to secure um, instead of, uh, of Microsoft. Uh, do, you, do you remember also there how, what, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. It was the craziest thing there were. So we were, on the, uh, we were in New York at the Time Warner building. Um, and so the first time we did the deal with Google, it was a, a small team of a few of us, and it was just our, you know, kind of our day jobs to do that stuff. By the time we launched Google's paid search in 2003, and the revenues just started to skyrocket, um, and we had warrants in, uh, in Google as well, it got the, the attention, uh, not just on a deal-making level, but it got the attention of, of kind of everybody throughout the company um, mm -hmm. that, that AOL had a massive asset in this traffic that could be monetized through search. So the first time we did the deal was you know, a few of us working really hard. Uh, it was, it was uh, two product managers, it was me, and I say product managers, it was people like me um, who one guy was running Netscape and some of the other brands, and then I was running the AOL brands. And then we had an attorney and a, a, a business development person. And the four of us did the deal the first time. And not until we got towards the end of the deal, did it really bubble up to the executives. And, you know, if you've worked in the corporate world, you know, mm -hmm. um, the, the, if you're, what you're working on bubbles up, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, so the second time we did the deal, it actually went all the way up to the Time Warner level. And wow. so that Microsoft Google search deal ended up, you know, in a, in a really, really funny thing. So there was, uh, there were conference rooms at either ends of the floor. The Microsoft guys were in one end and the Google guys were in the other end. And we were running back and forth, uh, going term by term, seeing who would give us the best deal. <laughs> uh, and it was, it was like, uh, it was like one of those things out of a sitcom on like three's company when people are running all over the house, pretending they don't see each other and, and uh, trying to hide and, and, you know, two dates going on at the same time. It was, it was crazy. Um, but ultimately, you know, the, the, the Microsoft style and their approach was very different. They had not, you know, it wasn't Bing at the time. It was pre-Bing. I think maybe it was Bing. Um, I think it was something else though. 
Mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't matter. Um, and, uh, and, and on one side, you know, there were a lot of influences and I'll tell you about my influence on it. Um, I had faith in Google's ability to deliver a great experience for AOL customers. And that to me was the core of the business. We flipped from being a push-based advertising business to being a customer pull-based advertising business. And that was a, that was a lot of um, the, the things that I had to deal with in terms of, of running the search engine inside of AOL was that we had a company that was like, just go close a deal, go sell a deal, go get you know, M&Ms in here and we'll put them all over the search results page. And, and I actually almost got fired a couple of times because I was so dedicated to making sure that we kept the user experience as the primary, uh, primary focus that, um, you know, I, I was willing to put my, my job on it because I couldn't deliver the revenues that we needed if we ended up kind of bastardizing or changing the search results environment. And so at one end of the hall, we had a company that was a close partner. There were tensions, um, but they were a close partner. And I knew that the, the user experience would be maintainable and manageable. And then we had Microsoft at the other end, which was a little bit more kind of old school at the time, which was they were just going to come in and, and do a deal that worked for them economically. And there were a lot of unknowns about whether that would be the best experience for users. So uh, I will not say that I had the, the ultimate say in it. In fact, I had a, a small piece of the ultimate say in which deal we did. Um, but the piece that I had was really influencing going for the best user experience so that we could build a sustainable business. And, and again, I go back to really simple deals, cuts of revenue, uh, that's a straight line, you know, X percent for the first dollar, X percent for the last dollar. And uh, the deal started to look far more complicated at the two ends of the hall. So history was made. Google got the renewal. Mm -hmm. so, so some, some key lessons is that it doesn't matter how much uh, business development power you have. Uh, if you have a product uh, like uh, Google had at the time, then it becomes much, much easier to sit at, uh, at the table. And then, of course, I guess also at the time they also a lot of they, they had a lot of resources as well on the table, so it wasn't uh, anymore um, like um, uh, Microsoft was still much bigger. But then it was possible for Google to compete on deal making uh, when instead on the previous years when it had to compete with the overture, it was I guess way more complex for Google. And um, how was the feeling um, at the time? Because of course, if you're uh, let's say cutting the deal. With, uh, with the company that a few years before uh, was the, the same company that uh, thanks to your deal actually um, turned things around because Google, when was featured on AOL, as you said, the search, uh, the, the, the users traffic they got uh, was, was huge. And therefore, how was the, the feeling at the time? Like, uh, did you feel AOL was uh, going toward uh, like, um, unfortunately as a, a to, to an end, and uh, how did you feel about the fact that uh, Google now was the, the the king, let's say, of the of that uh, that era? Yeah, I would say if it were a single dimension, and say you know there's a there's a story you could tell that says AOL was a walled garden. We poked a hole in the walled garden, and everybody left. Like that's a that's a story that could be told. It's not what happened. Hmm. Um, what happened was that users became more sophisticated and expected more and more. Um, the nature of the partnership was always a co-opetition partnership. We knew, we knew that we were going to have to compete with, with everybody in the space um, for, for users. And I want to go back to a little bit of the feeling of the time. 
Um, I, I had friends at, you know, early days, friends at Lycos, friends at, I had friends at Microsoft and, and we would go to conferences and sit on stage and talk together. And, and it was always very respectful. And there was always a lot of um, knowledge of what everybody else was doing. So, you know, the, the, the ways that companies were navigating at the time, it looked in the media like a war. It looked in the, you know, it looked like up on stage, uh, sometimes if the questions were right, that we had differing opinions, but that was one of those periods of time where really, you know, the people who were running the experiences were, there were, there were just, you know, we, we knew each other and we had, you know, I, I will say I respected and, and had a lot of, lot of trust in everybody across the table and around the world. So, um, when, when we did the co-opetition deal with Google, I, I had been exposed to Google when they started to poach AltaVista engineers way, way, way back when. I knew their mission. I knew what they were doing. I knew their trajectory was to organize the world's information. AOL's trajectory was very different. AOL was, at the time, we were still in the, the Time Warner deal. We were a media company, a true media company. I don't want to take away from any of the technology because things like instant messaging, um, we have an incredible number of Google, uh, excuse me, of search patents um, that, that, that are now held by Google, Facebook, and, and Microsoft. So um, it wasn't as simple as, as, a, as a, you know, oh, we're, we're competing now and they have more horsepower. It was that we were going different directions and that that co-opetition really did work. Um, I think that had we had complex deal structures in place, it wouldn't have lasted as long as it did. Um, I, I'm, I'm very proud of the way that we kept the people who mattered aligned, because when we made money, they made money. And, uh, and that was awesome. There, were, there was an interesting day, and, and I'll tell you about it. The, the day that Google announced Gmail, because AOL believed that we kind of kept the user experience and that our mail was the mail that should be. And yeah. Uh, the day that they announced it, it caused a big buzz. There were a lot of executive questions to me. What are they doing? Where are they going? And, and I think that was the first time that they had, had really stepped out to challenge right. the partnership and had gotten strong enough that they were on their own path and, and could do that. And the answer that you know, we had at the time was, you know, we, we don't control them. We had sold our warrants in the company, so we weren't even really investors anymore, as I recall it, but that wasn't my, that wasn't my responsibility. But um, so I think there was a, a notion of co-opetition uh, but there was there was a, a you know a, a, a couple rounds that we can see now looking backwards that hadn't played out yet, right? right. So, um, wow, yeah. yeah, and and it's uh, it's very hard to to predict uh, what uh, trajectory, uh, as you said, uh, some, in some contexts like uh, being a media company is uh, an advantage. It it has played out extremely well for AOL for for years. And then suddenly, like uh, Google scaled up very, very quickly. And when you go from competition to competition, it's very hard. As you said, when, when you work on the product development side, all you care about is uh, improving the user experience, understanding uh, what's the, the next product that is actually can, can improve uh, the, 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 the user experience of a certain X amount. Uh, but uh, on the, the business development side, and probably on the media side, it's more interesting to look, uh, okay, it's going to be the, the winner take all. And eventually, as uh, yeah. happened in this case, uh, of course, it was, um, it was, uh, it was Google. But um, what, what, what are some uh, key lessons uh, from, those, uh, from those days, uh, let's say, if, uh, if you had some that you wanted to, to share? Sure. Um, we've identified some of the trends, right? It was, it would, it, I, I love the stuff we've covered. You asked great questions. I think, I, I think a couple, a couple big takeaways for me. Um, 
over the period of time that I've been in the industry, I've seen times where you move slowly and times that you move quickly. And so, you know, um, usually it's driven by innovation and technology that breaks through to the customer experience, right? And so we can look over and over and over again. And in the times where you move slowly, you optimize. So we got the AOL search up and running with Google in it and spent three or four years optimizing. And, and it wasn't about big moves. It wasn't about lots of new partnerships. It was about taking what we had and really growing it. And there was an enormous amount of value created there. Um, and then there are times when everything is changing. User behavior is shifting. And when user behavior shifts, it's time to, <laughs> to, to, to just throw it all in and go, right? And, and that's the time when a different skill set is required. Optimizers and innovators, and I'm not talking about technology innovators, I'm talking about business model innovators, customer experience innovators, um, that's, that's when you shift from kind of looking at the small picture of optimization to the larger picture of, of trends and vision. And so, you know, the reason I bring that up is we are in that right now with Web3. Um, it is one of those times where there's a technology change that's making a huge impact. So my, my take is, and I'm really excited, a couple of years ago when it was a time to move slowly because the, the innovations were much smaller, um, I would have been probably more, uh, I wouldn't be having as much fun with this conversation because I'd be looking back going, oh, those were the days when we had incredible amounts of opportunity in front of us and, and everybody was trying to talk to everybody to figure out what was happening next and we were building this shared vision. That, that to me is, is one of the big takeaways. That was a point in time when the fundamental model of how people use the internet from browsing to searching changed. And, and it was the time to just do crazy deals and have some vision about where it's going, adapt really quickly and, and recognize that it's a time that, you know, the, the way I talk about it is that, that when things change, there's a period of time where everything is fluid. And then before you know it, it's locked in cement. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, I was involved with a couple of the companies that Twitter acquired very early on, around 2009. And at that point in time, we didn't know how everything was working. Um, I, I was involved peripherally in some of the strategy around how Twitter handled the, uh, the fire hose and all of that. And there were decisions made, all, everything changed quickly and boom, the fire hose was shut off. And now that was locked in stone. And, and, and you know, so, so decisions are made very quickly. And, and then those decisions, you just got to move on. And, uh, and, and that's when you go back to optimizing. So um, yeah. I'm not sure my comment was, was very- No, well. no, it's, uh, it's uh, you strike a point, like uh, cement and then, uh, then fluid, it's, uh, I absolutely agree on that. And uh, right now you're working uh, on, on cryptonomic, so you're working on a web, web 3D project. So uh, you're saying, uh, you see now the same scenario of those early days, and now you see things moving fast also in the uh, Web3 direction, uh, right? I mean, um, more or less, that's how you see things now. Um, yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. How is your feeling now about Web3? Uh, and, uh, you know, what are you looking at right now, which uh, it's uh, exciting for you? Sure. Um, I do. You know, I don't want to shill for my company, so I won't talk too much about that a little bit. But I think where we are in the context of things is that blockchain technology, um, you, you can say that there are a lot of coins out there and tokens and people are going to lose money. And you can say that NFTs are a little bit weird and you know, nobody wants to, you know, it will never make it to the mass market to, to buy a silly GIF. And, 
but, but when you look underneath all of that, what's really changed is our ability to keep records has changed. Mm -hmm. And so the ledger of a company, profit, loss, where money comes from and goes to within a company is now being shifted from companies to projects. And that's enabling an incredible amount of innovation. So when you can attach software to the blockchain and you can do things, which is where Ethereum made its first step, um, the, 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 the foundation of everything that we know about companies, technology, business, I'm not saying it's going to change absolutely every aspect of everything, but many things will be fundamentally changed through the notion of the blockchain because money can be programmed to do things. And when money can be programmed to do things, you can program virality, you can program um, customer usage behaviors into the money and the flows and, and NFT. Okay, great. You know, I've got a, I've got a little pixelized picture of a monkey. Um, but what's really happening there is items can be attached to a, an incontrovertible record of who owns that item that changes the art industry, which is what we're seeing. It changes supply chain. There's just so much changing based on the, the kind of the core of these technologies, not it's, it would be, it's a shame. I talk to people a lot about what's happening and it's, oh, Bitcoin burns too much energy. And all of these, all of these things that people talk about as being detractors are really expressions of misunderstanding. Yeah. Um, and, and those expressions of misunderstanding, you know, if, if, if there's a vision that, that anybody can put together by looking around at, at all the information out there uh, about where things are going to change, this is one of those times where people with vision can make stuff happen. Because in all of my experience, I've only seen a couple times where the underlying technology has so many ripple effects in what changes. Yeah. So that's what Cryptonomic is. We're helping companies specifically, and it'll make sense. Um, we're, we're trying to understand how these technologies can make user experiences better, shopping experiences better, lifetime yeah, value yeah. better for companies. And that's, that's kind of it. Interesting. And uh, uh, important final point, as you said, uh, completely misses the point when you go into argument about uh, energy, con energy consumption. The whole blockchain-based ecosystem has evolved a lot uh, in the last years. And now we have uh, many other layers. Uh, one Uh, chains that uh, do many things from Ethereum, from uh, other chains like uh, Solana, Avalanche, whatever. But the, the main point is that now we have many applications up, uh, on top of the blockchain. So I also follow that with, uh, with a lot of interest. And the yeah. NFTs are very interesting because they, they uh, finally, they might, at least if they uh, are successful at scale, they might actually uh, sort of uh, uh, make uh, the digital ownership similar to a physical ownership, something that for me, I'm a trader on the web, it's extremely important because it's very hard to build a business on digital products when uh, those are not, uh, you know, th there is not uh, uh, ownership of, of, uh, of those of those items. There is no scarcity. So those are extremely important aspects. Uh, last yeah. question, then we close this up. I know that the time is due. Uh, what is then the, the most important application that you see now on, uh, on Web3? Is there anyone that is your favorite one that you think is going to be a turning point for the future? Oh, there's so much good stuff going on. Um, I love decentralized finance. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not a believer that, you know, governments will be disrupted and the world will change and we won't need governments anymore. That's not what I'm talking about. What I do think is that our current world financial systems, and I'm talking banks on down to customers and then the corporate thing as well, it's so limited 
um, we haven't fundamentally, although there are lots of different ways to invest money in all kinds of different weird products that people can't understand, we haven't really innovated in money in a long time. So I, I'll give an example. I, I had a Bitcoin and Bitcoin was trading around $50,000 and I went to a platform called Nexo and um, uh, I, I was just curious, what can I do with this Bitcoin? Well, I dropped it into Nexo. They let me borrow 60% of that Bitcoin at a certain percentage rate. And I connected my bank account and the whole transaction, I transferred the Bitcoin in and had $30,000 in my bank account in, I think it was like 10 minutes. And when you think about the implications of access to money, you have to have the collateral to begin with, but think about how it changes corporate finance and corporate revolvers and the ability for a company to take its assets in, in crypto and invest to and innovate. Um, you think about the insurance products, like. All of the things, I, I am super interested in DeFi from being one of the cutting edges that's going to change things. I'm also very interested in how decentralized organizations change yeah. things because yeah. the notion yeah. of, of um, software being the thing that is tracked in an economy is really powerful. Yeah, I'm also very excited about uh, both uh, use cases and uh, decentralized organization for me, it's a game changer. Because uh, it's you can pretty much have companies at scale without having like central departments that at scale are very very damaging. If I'm thinking about also uh, like um, uh, you know uh, especially marketing distribution um, development, product development. If you can scale them with a decentralized approach, it will be very interesting to see what uh, what happens. Of course, we're gonna see this process taking years and years before we get yep. to that point. So no, yeah, it, it was, it was an incredible uh, discussion. I, uh, I hope we can have a second discussion, probably focused just on Web3, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the coming weeks as uh, I ramp up the, 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 the podcast uh, series. So thanks, uh, thanks a lot for, for, for joining me for this conversation. Jerry, it was, uh, was a huge pleasure. It was a delight. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mm -hmm.